Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, October 12th. We begin with a look at women in politics, specifically those women running for mayor in next week's civic election. We hear details on a unique online project which highlights all four female candidates on the ballot in the race for the top job at City Hall. Next, we hear from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities on their new task force, which aims to highlight the issues facing Western municipalities. We speak with Randy Golden, chair of the Western Economic Solutions Task Force, about the issues facing these regions and the findings in their new report. It's no secret that small and medium-sized businesses have been hit hard during the pandemic, but now a new initiative from nonprofit organization MyTax aims to help struggling businesses bounce back. We hear about the ambitious program and how post-secondary students are lending a hand. And finally, it's our monthly catch-up with Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. And this time out, Ellen is shining the spotlight on some great events coming to Calgary and also offers up some networking tips to help you build your business. With so many candidates running for mayor in this year's civic election, it may be a little daunting to learn as much as you can about each candidate before you head to the polls. Well, one Calgary company is hoping to shed some light on the candidates, specifically those female candidates vying for City Hall's top job. Chrissy Smith is the operations manager for Calgary-based fashion brand Kate Huco, and she joins us now to tell us about an interesting project she's been involved with called 73 Questions with Calgary's four female mayoral candidates. Good morning to you, Chrissy. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. So tell us, how did the idea for this project come to life? So we were sitting down with our team meeting and, you know, Kate Hugo is run by Kate herself and we're all female run. And we were talking about the upcoming election and we were like, you know, there's only four women running. There's 27 people. And it's at the time, I believe there were 29. It was 15% of the candidates. Mm. So we were saying, how is it possible that in a city where, you know, roughly half the population is female, only 15% of our upcoming mayoral candidates are female. That's, you know, somewhat ridiculous. So we were like, how can we best amplify, you know, female leadership, female voices? It is definitely hard enough sometimes being a female leader Mm -hmm. in the workplace and university settings and political settings. So how can we best amplify those voices? And originally we were going to do a roundtable, but then we pivoted and we were like, you know what? We're a fashion brand. Let's do a Vogue-style interview, which Vogue does the 73 questions, like rapid fire, uh, in a short amount of time. And I was like, let's just do that with them. So thankfully, they all agreed to come on, and it was a very illuminating experience. And why so? I mean, without giving it away, obviously you want us to go and listen and, and check out all four candidates that you spoke with, uh, with the 73 questions. I love that idea. Can you give us some examples of the questions asked and maybe the odd answer that you got? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, of course, we asked a few policy-related questions. Uh, you know, what are you going to do about the downtown core? What are you going to do about the Green Line? But then some of them were personal questions, too, like, hey, what did your spouse say when you decided, hey, I want to run for mayor? What, uh, you know, your outfit questions, like, of course, we're a fashion brand, so how would you best describe your personal style? What are you wearing on your day off? If you get elected mayor, what are you wearing to your swearing in? And then all sorts of, you know, random personality questions in between. So all four of them did share their astrology sign, if that is something that Calgarians are interested in. Um, lots of fun questions in there just to get to know them as people, right? 
Mm-hmm. And Chrissy, I would think that, you know, if we've been following any other mayoral forums or, or read any other literature on these candidates, I would think with so many varied questions that you would have the opportunity to see these women running for uh, for mayor, their guard come down a bit. Was that the case? Absolutely. Now, here's what I found just absolutely surprising was that even as a woman, I would say, you know, a feminist who believes in the capacity and the ability of other women leaders, I was still struck talking with each of these women one-on-one at how assertive, how competent, and how, you know, I could I could actually see, you know, them being the next mayor, the, the inherent leadership capacity in each of them that I was like, wow, we, I've underestimated even some of these candidates that, you know, the ones that get less press coverage. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's that's so fascinating. Even just our collective ability to say like, oh, you know what, that's cute that you're running for mayor. But no, like each and every one of these women were type A, you know, assertive, mm-hmm. powerful, competent, leadership, qualified, educated, knowledgeable women, you know. Important for young girls to see role models like that, I think, that, you know, these are these are women who are strong candidates who could easily, among all of those that are running, there are 27 of them, most of them are, are decent. Some of them will just exclude them from the pack, but, I mean, these women really stand out as being strong role models that could easily take over that top job, and it takes exactly. a pretty special person. this In this world right now, don't you think, Chrissy, to sort of want to even be part of the political world? And that's the thing, is that research shows that women take sometimes up to 10 times as much effort to recruit to run for office as their male counterparts. They have to be asked up to 10 times to run for office. And I think that's because as women, we set the bar so much higher for ourselves. And the reality is, we are just as qualified, just as competent, and just as capable. For sure. We really wanted to highlight that. Okay, Chrissy, we want to get people to watch these four unique uh, women running for mayor. Where do we where do we find it? So you can find all of those on our Instagram under our IGTV live videos. Kaylee has put them together, and I believe all the candidates have shared them themselves as well on Instagram. And that's at Kate Huco? At Kate Huco. That's K-A-T-E. Huco is spelled H-E-W-K-O. Good stuff. Thanks for your time, Chrissy. Perfect. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. That is Chrissy Smith, operations manager at the fashion brand Kate Huco. The Federation of Canadian Municipalities Western Economic Solutions Task Force uh, released its final report with concrete recommendations to the federal government as well as a bold vision for a prosperous Western Canada. Joining us to explain the findings is Randy Golden, chair of the Western Economic Solutions Task Force, or WEST, and councillor of the city of Yorkton. Good morning to you, Randy. Well, good morning to you, and I'm coming um, f- this morning uh, from um, our son's family home in Stony Plain, Alberta, oh, so um, I was here for Thanksgiving and in- enjoyed uh, our time here and meeting also with some uh, with some leaders here. Good. I'm glad you could enjoy Alberta during the holiday. Thank you. I'm glad. And, and, and you're in our province for this conversation. Very fitting. So let, let's talk about this. What are the biggest challenges that face uh, Western communities? Well, you know, when this uh, task force got together, because, um, you know, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities was hearing from our members, we have over 2,000 members representing 92% of Canada's population, that, you know, people in the West were really facing some deep economic anxiety. 
And uh, so we, we wanted to bring this forward to be something that we could talk about with all our federal leaders. And we looked at the barriers, you know, the barriers to getting resources and products to market. So basically our trade, transportation, infrastructure. We really looked at the energy development, the climate policies, the regulations around that. We talked about and looked at supporting communities to diversify and, and develop our economies as, as we go to the road to, to recovery. And of course, we talked about municipal infrastructure and fiscal sustainability because we know that uh, the key to recovery is right here in our, in our uh, communities and our municipalities. So, Randy, looking forward then, what does the report say needs to be done by the federal government, obviously, to support the prosperity of our Western municipalities? We looked at some immediate goals that we would have to have, some intermediate and some future goals. And, and we know that we've had some key successes, and it came to our communities at the time when it was most needed. Um, and we've seen that here in Alberta, we had $1.7 billion that came to, uh, to the municipalities to help with the abandoned and orphaned uh, uh, oil wells that we saw, which brought back 5,200 jobs to people that were working um, in that industry that were out of work. We saw, you know, $8.6 billion come in emergency funding um, as for the uh, restart program. And then we saw unprecedented funding come to us with Univers- Universal Broadband Fund and uh, affordable housing and uh, public transit and rural transportation, the first time ever that we saw significant funding come for transportation. But yes, you know, there's work that we need to do. We've met with uh, um, federal politicians, uh, all parties, including the uh, Conservative Party of Canada, all of their um, M- MPs here in Alberta. We had very good conversations. So into the future, we know that we have support going into this. So do we need, do we have work to do? Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, you know, something that we know well in the West, in the Western communities, partnering with Indigenous communities. Yes. Let's talk about the importance of the consultation with those communities and uh, with uh, those communities across Canada, the importance of that within these uh, talks and, and, and the framework of your study. That was something that was identified very early and especially around our, um, you know, our trade corridors. Uh, we know that we have to get our products to market, and, and what we've done is had um, successful consultations um, with uh, the federal government, with Indigenous groups that will help us uh, when we're going to build any type of, of uh, infrastructure to get our products to market. So we're going to be uh, uh, very much uh, involved with impact studies that have to happen, uh, and we're looking to have those, um, you know, those trade corridors predetermined so when something has to happen, it happens very, very quickly, not taking 10 to 15 to 20 years. Randy, in a perfect world, what's your ultimate goal? What are you hoping, you know, that we see short-term and long-term, really, for that matter? Well, you know, it's really interesting because we know that everything that happens happens here, as I said, in, in our communities, in our cities, in our municipalities. But we never seem to be um, a huge part of the discussions of what happens. So what we're asking for is a seat at the table. We need to be there as we're asking in for the impact studies for trade quarters. We need to be there so we can talk about the consequences, the implications, and what we can bring to the table when these things happen. Because no matter... What is going on in Canada? It happens right here. Whether you're in a city like Calgary, whether you're in a very small community like Yorkton, my community, 20,000 people, or where you're in the rural areas. 
we need to be at the table to discuss, number one, what we need and how to make it happen the best way. Very much needed, and it is a voice. So I'm wondering, Randy, if you can tell us before West, before the Western Economic Solutions Task Force, what was there? Was there a hub? Was there a coalition? Or is this kind of a first of its kind? Well, and that's the work that the Federation of Canadian Municipalities did. So, for instance, there's representation from um, all of the province and territories on the board of directors. We have a large board of directors, 70 people. Um, Alberta is very well uh, representative uh, with people from municipalities. The president of the rural municipalities of Alberta and the uh, Alberta um, Urban Municipalities Association. So those voices were heard. But what we did with West is we had many, many more consultations. We met directly uh, as Western communities uh, with, uh, for instance, our summit that was held just before the lockdown uh, in um, Leduc. Uh, we had uh, Christian Freeland, who was the Deputy Prime Minister. We had Melanie Jolie, who was the um, Economic Development Minister. And we had Mark Garneau at the time was the Transportation Minister, who came out um, to Alberta to meet with us. Um, along with, at the same summit, um, members and representatives from the uh, um, other parties, including the Conservative Party. So we had, they, they understood exactly what we were feeling in our, in our communities. Um, it was that one-on-one that I think is so very important. And we've built that relationship with all of the parties, and we can continue uh, no matter who is the uh, governing party in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. More work to be done for sure. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your message with us. Appreciate it. We'll send people to um, www.fcm.ca. That's, of course, uh, Federation of Canadian Municipalities. So fcm.ca. Thanks, Randy, for your time this morning. Thank you for the conversation. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Randy Golden is the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Western Economic Solution Task Force Chair. October is Small Business Month, and an initiative by MyTax is looking at ways to help businesses across the province navigate through the pandemic and emerge stronger. Joining us with details is Dr. John Hepburn, CEO with MyTax. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. So let's let's, uh, start with MyTax. What is MyTax, and how does your organization work to support small businesses? Well, my tax. Uh, first of all, because people got confused by the name, it's the last letters are CS and not X. We're a national not-for-profit. Um, been around for about 21 years, and basically, we help businesses with <clears throat> research, uh, innovation, research-based innovation solutions, and we do this through student internships, typically fairly advanced uh, postgraduate students, but uh, also with business students, which is the new initiative. And uh, we basically find out what problems uh, industry has, small and medium enterprises in particular, and then we find an academic uh, group that can solve their problem with a student intern working between the uh, post-secondary institution and the company. And John, October being Small Business Month, we'll focus on that and, and talk about how MyTax is helping small businesses innovate to come out perhaps at least better, if not stronger, through this post-pandemic period that we're kind of in. Sure. So there's a couple of things that we do. We've always worked with small and medium enterprises. They're about 70% of the companies we deal with are small and medium enterprises. And so 
as I say, we, we have business development people in the field, several in Calgary, in fact, who, you know, talk to small and medium enterprises, find out what their problems are. And often there's a research-based or some innovation-based solution to their problem to help them grow and, and be successful. Uh, the new initiative with business students um, is same thing, except rather than sort of a, a research university-type research solution, we provide a business strategy solution. And always working with students who gain incredibly valuable work experience in uh, with the companies, so to supplement their the great academic training they get at the post-secondary institutions. So this is kind of like a practicum or a placement? It's kind of like it, but we, we try not to, we try and make clear that, that the difference between a practicum and a placement is that the student never leaves the university in a sense. They, uh, they work part-time at the university, part-time in industry, always focusing on, on solving the problem for industry. So it's a supplement to their academic training and yet they maintain the connection with the university. And, and by the way, one thing I forgot to mention is that one of the things that we've been given permission to do, uh, thanks to increased government funding, both from the Alberta government and the federal government, is typically we cost share these internships uh, 50-50 with industry. But because of the pandemic and the economic dislocation, for small and medium enterprises, they only pay 75% of the cost for these very, very highly qualified students. So, John, talk to us a bit about hiring challenges that we're still seeing right now as we're in this fourth wave of things. Oh, boy. Uh, We suffer from it like everyone else. Um, We're trying to hire people because, as I say, with increased funding, we have... We have increased delivery expectations. We're, we're trying to place uh, well over 20,000 uh, internships this year. So we're trying to hire people like business development professionals I talked about. We're having a hard time. Small and medium enterprises are having an especially hard time. Um, there's a you know, real arms race on for talent. Um, so people with high qualifications and high talent are in huge demand in spite of the higher unemployment because of the pandemic. And that's another thing that our internships do is they connect businesses and highly qualified students at an early stage so they can they can offer them jobs if the students uh, fit the bill and, and they get a leg up on other employers. So it, it actually helps create connections for the students and the businesses. You mentioned the size of small and medium-sized businesses, but can we drill down, uh, John, and talk about what type of businesses, what, what fields are eligible for something like this? Any field. We work with um, businesses all the way from creative arts on through to quantum computing, but also not-for-profits, uh, municipalities. Um, obviously, municipalities don't, don't qualify as small and medium enterprises, but basically any small organization, uh, typically a for-profit business, but um, we can work with not-for-profits as well. You know, I'm wondering if you can break down for us, because you mentioned the, the immense need to buy these businesses of skilled labor, of, you know, top students, and maybe the students wanting a break. How, how do they come together? What is the main hub, and what is that process? Well, the process is that, that people get in touch with us, and that can be done through our website, mitacs.ca, or business development people just are out in the field. Um, our business development people are located in the communities uh, and, and literally we have people in uh, five time zones from St. John's through to Victoria and they, they're they constantly talking to people at the universities and in 
the businesses. They go to business association meetings. And so they find out where there are issues. And typically, either business gets in touch with us, the business development people find the problem, or the university uh, researchers and students get in touch with us, and, and the business development people that we have, the 100 professionals we've got across the country, then put together a partnership that's suitable to solve the problems. Great resource, great website. We'll send people again to M-I-T-A-C-S, mytax.ca. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for your interest. It's uh, going to be a great month. For sure. Dr. John Hepburn is the CEO of MyTax. And that is huge. You know, we hear time and time again that students getting out of post-secondary just don't have those opportunities. But, you know, perhaps it is. Uh, associations and uh, organizations like MyTax their involvement and somebody to quarterback this because there's needs of the businesses, needs of these students to bridge that gap. That is huge Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of doom and gloom. And I I would say particularly at this time, and as John said, uh, during the pandemic, there has been issues, uh, but to to have some kind of point of contact uh, and the need for these uh, skilled students, you know, in in those institutions, uh, it's huge. We need to, you know, pair those people who are looking for work yep. with the companies that really need help right now. And uh, it looks like a great website. In fact, they, they uh, pride themselves on having 6,000 plus international research internships. Uh, it, it's a great place to go for, for more information, mitacs.ca. Time to check in with our expert to offer up some PR tips and to talk about some of the cool events coming to our city. Joining us now is Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. Good morning to you, Ellen. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. You know, back at it on a Tuesday that kind of feels like a Monday. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, the arts in our city. I know that we're trying to keep the arts alive and well through the pandemic. And the ballet and CPO are back in action now, right, Ellen? Yes, it's so exciting. Alberta Ballet is back at the Jubilee Auditorium and back with Swan Lake. So that was uh, very exciting last season and people were really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, it couldn't happen. But now... Starting October 21st to the 30th, uh, folks can get tickets and enjoy Swan Lake. And then the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra is also back at the Jack Singer Concert Hall downtown. And starting on this Friday the 15th is Hayden, Chin, and Parts. So Hayden, uh, the classical composer, was known and is still known as the father of symphony. So this is a great opportunity to hear three beautiful composers. And folks can book in groups of one to four. Masks are mandatory. And groups of four will be separated through the Jack Singer Concert Hall. And tickets are $30 to $80. So accessible price point for a beautiful classical concert. Absolutely. I want to talk about uh, giving back and volunteering in just a second. But before we get to that, Tanya Eklund, the uh, VOW podcast available today and every Wednesday through October, all in support of Brenda Strafford Center and listening to a different leader each week. Why is this important and, and key that we you know kind of tune in and get involved in this? Yeah, thank you. So the VOW podcast is Voices of Women, and this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So this month, the four women are leaders in the domestic violence world in Calgary. They'll be talking about identifying and preventing and supports that are offered. And for every person who listens, Tanya Eklund will donate money to the Brenda Strafford Center, which is the Center for Women and Children Fleeing Domestic Violence. So a great way to be entertained and not leave your home Mm -hmm. so you can just be comfortable at home. (laughs) All right, as Sue alluded to, you know, volunteering. We love the chance to give back. But if you're looking for a way and a meaningful way to volunteer, you've got a solution for us. 
Yes. Calgary has an organization called the Social Venture Partners Calgary, and it's been in Calgary for a number of years now. It's an amazing organization where professionals and skilled individuals who want to volunteer in a meaningful way can join Social Venture Partners and get placed in a charity organization offering volunteer things like financial modeling, strategic planning, partnership development. So really high-skilled individuals and those who want to contribute in that kind of a meaningful way um, can join other volunteers who are like-minded as well. And this month, Social Venture Partners is launching what they're calling a philanthropy lab. So it's an opportunity for people to really understand the not-for-profit sector and make really good decisions about where they want to volunteer. And it also provides uh, ways to measure our success of volunteering. So it's a really neat opportunity. And you can just go to the Social Venture Partners website and sign up and participate that way. They are a great organization. I second that for sure. And before we let mm-hmm. you go, I want to talk about this. Uh, if you're looking to entertain clients, maybe stakeholders, kind of build that back up as we move through this pandemic. How best places to do that these days? Yeah, great. Thank you. So Porch is a new place, a new venue restaurant that's just opened on 17th Avenue. It's very big. It's beautiful. They have a great menu. It's sort of like something you'd see in Venice, L.A., on Abbott Kinney Boulevard, kind of. It's really cool. As well, Modern Steak has opened a third location in Southport. They have private rooms. It's a large venue, great for booking uh, events, as well as always the Hawthorne Dining Room, such an elegant space, really large, different spaces throughout the restaurant where you can book events to, you know, show appreciation to the clients who have stuck with you during the last couple of years. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. That is Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR, online at parkerpr.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.